Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Right, hello and welcome to the Gym Session. We are here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. A different sort of show today, obviously due to lockdown. Uh, the Monday review panel, we're going to go right off the top with the boys and then we will get to Shane Wowoden. Uh, a very special interview with him straight after this. So if you're listening to the audio version, uh, congrats. You don't have to see our faces, um, but straight after this Monday review panel, we will go straight into the interview um, and uh, have that very special um, one-on-one chat with Shane Wowoden. Boys, over Zoom, bit of a shame. Um, I like doing it in person. Do you guys prefer in person or over Zoom? I, I don't mind Zoom. I get to wear my hoodie and stay comfortable in my own home, so I don't mind it. But where's my microphone? How come I don't have a fancy little mic here? Well, we all did pre-prep and said, get your own mics, make sure. Look, Gordo's done his prep. He's sitting there in, uh, is that off the stadium, Gordo? He's flown all the way to Perth. Yeah, well, once I heard about the lockdown, I was like, I need to get out of here. So I got out of here quick smart and I headed off to Perth Stadium so I could get to watch the Dreamtime at the Big O. That's what the thing is. The thing is about doing it on Zoom, we can't speak over each other, which is, and you know, for me, it's very hard not to do that. It's impossible for Nick. And I don't think anyone's ever started a sentence around Gordo without being interrupted. So we might struggle today, but we'll, uh, we'll try and get things going. Boys, oh, firstly, make sure you download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, highlights, news, and opinions. We have got it all, and you boys have got it all because Nick's going to give us his hero of the weekend first up. I was tossing and turning between Jake Stringer and Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, but I think you know the theme I'm going towards. It was Essendon, but I'll, I'll go with Jake Stringer. Both were brilliant. Uh, I think Tipper had the better game, no doubt, but Stringer stood up when he needed to, when he was called upon, and that, that's what Bomber fans would love to see. A lot, a lot was spoken about um, Essendon's young players this year, uh, Perkins, Cox and Jones. They played and they did well. But for me, it was the older, mature guys who really stood up. And uh, I think that's a big step in the right direction because at times you do need those mature players to stand up. And guys like Parrish as well and uh, Merritt and McGrath, they all dominated the midfield. And it was good to see from an Essendon point of view for an Essendon fan. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that was one of their famous wins. In recent memory, for sure. I know that's hard for you to say, Nico, because you're not a big fan of Essendon being a Hawthorne man. It is, but it's hard not to like that. That's That's true. Woody wins that night. That's right. I think the whole Essendon team were heroes, really. 29 points down. They went there three days early. There was bad weather. No one was expecting them to win, and they come out and uh, and come back in a in a really positive and spirited way. The spirit we haven't seen for years from the Bombers, so that would be absolutely wrapped. And you can start to see the rotten way, which we were very confused last season. What was their, uh, I guess their their game style or what's their philosophy? What do they stand for? We can start to see it now. And there's a lot of Richmond 2017 about that squad, which uh, uh, you can look at Rutten and Carousella coming from Richmond, and maybe they're having a huge impact there. Gordo, who was your hero? My hero was Mitch Robinson. We loved the content creators. Obviously, that's what we do here on Footy Live. And uh, good to see a fellow content creator absolutely killing it on the football field, proving that those that talk can actually play the game as well. Not us three, but not, definitely not Mitch Robinson. A <laughs> uh, huge PB. So it's the first time he's kicked uh, four goals in a game. Uh, and it's good to see, you know, this year a lot of debate about, you know, is there too many role players in the game? Not enough heroes. The game's killing the heroes. Well, a role player became a hero. So how good is that? But Brisbane flying under the radar. They're like me. They're interstate at the moment and uh, they'll stay there and they'll just cruise to a top four finish and they'll turn on come finals because they are the Forbes side of the AFL, in my humble opinion. And um, to the back of guys like Mitch Robinson, Neil comes back soon as well. And uh, it's all looking fantastic for the Lions at the moment. Yeah, there's a couple of question marks on Neil uh, when he went out of the side, but everyone seems to step up, especially Mitch. And and like you mentioned, four goals for the first time in his career. On debut, he kicked three, and he never he never got over that mark uh, for the entirety of his career up until uh, Saturday where he kicked, to, kicked four goals. He got 30-odd touches as well. And uh, there was 13 individual goal kickers for Brisbane. Which is which is remarkable, and it, it's great to see that you can contribute all over the park. And this might be the year. There's something different about the Lions this year than other years. So this might be the year. And your tip for the uh, 
for the grand final and for the premiership by judging by what you've said. So we'll wait and see. Nico, what was your highlight of the weekend? Well, that's a good segue into my highlight because while, while the lines are looking good, I, try. Um, I still think the D's are the team to beat at the moment. They're the informed team of the competition and they're my highlight. This Friday night, it was built up to be the game of the year, really. First versus second. Could have been a grand final. It could be a grand final preview. And while it was played on the Bulldogs' home deck under the under the helmet at um, Marvel Stadium, the D's just stood up and they looked brilliant um, from go to woe. And I was I was really surprised with how they um, showed up. My tip was the Bulldogs, but yeah, I think the D's uh, they announced themselves on Friday night and. Look, they're a genuine premiership contender. I don't think I don't think you can de- deny that. Well, it's, yeah, it's impossible. No, it's impossible to deny that uh, now yeah. after seeing that. And they they executed the plan perfectly. They went and tagged Libba instead of Bont. They sent Harms to him. Harms kicks the first goal of the game. And 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 like we said, we wrote about this yesterday, Gordo. We said everyone's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. And that was a bit, little bit of a punch in the mouth early on. Harms kicks the first goal, and it was all Melbourne from then on. And um, you know, they took advantage of the dogs seemed to struggle one-on-one in defense um, and they tried to outsize them in those areas. And that's what they did. And the interesting fact about this is that was the lowest pressure rating for the year from the demons. You know that, which everyone was saying, Oh, the pressure was intense, pressure, pressure, pressure. It was pressure, but from other areas. So it was uh, all, all speeding back to get in defense and set up behind the ball, which they did perfectly. They jammed up that corridor and the Bulldogs had nowhere to go. So it was that perceived pressure as well resulted in turnovers. It was, they were off the dogs, of course, but that was executed beautifully by Melbourne. And uh, I loved it. I got the tip right as well. Uh, Gordo, what was your highlight of the weekend? Uh, My heart's a bit more vague. It's just Hmm. COVID contingency. So obviously we got sent back into lockdown here in in Melbourne and Victoria. And obviously they gave us deep and fearful flashbacks of last year where there was no football for weeks on end and the world came to a grinding halt. But, you know, it was not all for nothing, lockdown 2.0 and 3.0. We learned from our mistakes. We learned how to move and there was no whinging. There was no, well, there was a little bit of whinging, but there was not too much whinging. Players got on with it. Coaches got on with it. And uh, and they they sorted it out. They got some football away this weekend, full nine matches, and yeah, just a bit of a, a well done for the fact that we are now able to keep football going regardless of whatever the world throws us. So yeah. a little pat on the back to everyone involved, ourselves included. There you go, flexible and agile is uh, is what yeah. they were the AFL, and uh, let's hope it. Although I have continues. just. Yeah. I have just read, however, that it's almost impossible to continue the season if we go into a federal lockdown, according to Gillian McLaughlin of uh, three minutes ago. So yeah, but that's just right. what said if that, the, but, if the borders, know, watch this, borders watch this space. <laughs> so, yeah, at the time <laughs> of recording, it's all good. Into the works. Uh, Nico, what was your low light? We'll be back after a quick break. Collingwood. It was the low light of the weekend by far for me. Um, And trust me, I've seen some bad games this year watching the Hawks, some boring games. But Saturday afternoon was shocking to watch. Um, To have one goal kicked at three-quarter time, uh, the ball movement by Collingwood was just so slow. Uh, There was no movement from the back line. It's just like until like the last five, 10 minutes when they started to, you know, play a bit more freely, that was missing for the whole game. And uh, it was just, I mean, that combined with Geelong's, you know, slow build-up style of play, 
put together. It was just a nightmare of a match. So that was my low light for the weekend. Fair call. It was absolutely shocking. And just sideways, backwards. They didn't want to take any risks down the middle. Um, It was, yeah, no, it was the worst game of football I can remember watching live. And I mean, for Buckley to come out and say at the end of the, at the end of the game that, you know, they're, they're playing a, a, a game style that they're they're happy with and the wins will come. I don't know if, if Collingwood fans want to see that type of footy. It all changed in the last quarter or in the second half. There was more of a direct play. They thought we'll take risks. We'll go through the middle. We'll move the ball faster. They kicked what five goals in the last quarter. Um, That's it, so yeah. it's beyond me while you keep playing like that. But I guess they want to protect, they want to protect the margin a little bit and don't want to get um, too smashed, I guess, or thrashed, I should say. But, I mean, I don't know if that's what you want to see. Uh, Gordo, what was your low light? My low light was the weeping weagles. So as much as we all like to Lloyd Essendon and the Richmond-style mentality of their players and their coaches and their game style, this was a game that West Coast should not have lost here at the new home of football, <laughs> Optus Stadium. Um, they cannot run out games, and I'm... I'm unsure how or why. Like, yes, they've been injured, but every other team has injuries. But I would have thought every club has a baseline level of fitness and the ability to run out games, and they just don't have this. Like, West Coast are currently 18th. They are the worst at quarter four performances this year. And they also have an un-kind of sustainable reliance on accuracy and efficiency. And so we know that they don't need a lot of the football. They need a lot of marks, but that's about it. And the rest, they just rely on their inside 50 efficiency. And so 58% of their scores this year have been goals. But obviously they, that's that's unsustainable. You can't match that up. And when someone brings the heat like Essendon did, obviously they regress to the mean. They don't kick enough goals. They don't get any points. But they're getting smashed everywhere else as well. And so if you have a system that relies purely on efficiency, every kick has to be perfect, every clearance has to be perfect, every mark inside 50 taken, you're going to get brought back down. It's a very easy game plan to, to break away. And I... And I don't understand why they continue with this style of football when it doesn't work against anyone that you need to beat to be competing to get into the top four. Mm. And that's a big, yeah. big loss. That's basically almost season over for the Eagles, that, that loss. Well, you put a line you, they can't lose at home if they, they can't play away. So. Yeah, we thought maybe if they win this one because then, you know, we know they win at home, they can't win away from home. But like you said, I mean, they kick nine goals straight. Uh, to half time. So that's the efficiency you're talking about, but it's not sustainable. Um, and when they've got other players around the contest as well, like she is a, a huge miss, but still like you, around the contest, they got belted. And when it gets wet, wet weather footy, it suits other teams. And that's the finals like pressure you're going to get as well. You need the contest. You need players to step up in those crucial moments. And they didn't have any um, when it really counted. So a line through the Eagles for me and a line through, I think for you boys as well. Um, we had some comments uh, from a few people this week, not as many as usual because everyone's you know, s- uh, settling into lockdown. Can't always get on Twitter. Uh, Matthew Mecca, though, he got on and he said, do you think Isaac Rankin is overhyped or rated due to his high draft selection? The commenta- commentators seem to exaggerate every piece of play he's involved in. For example, kicking goals from the goal line. Whereas I think other young players... Um, are performing well and uh, and it takes longer for them to get the credit they deserve due to their lower draft selection. What are your thoughts, definitely. boys? Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I do agree with that. I, I Don't get me wrong. Isaac Rankin is a gun. Um, he hasn't performed to the levels um, we expect of him this season. Uh, Friday, uh, what was it? Saturday night, Saturday he had night, a good yeah. game. He kicked four goals. Um, a couple of them, like uh, Matthew mentioned, were from the goal line or they were gifted mm-hmm. to him from free kicks um, or downfield free kicks. So credit to him, he, you know, he made the most of his opportunities and that's what you'd want to see from him. But you can definitely definitely tell the commentary team do love to hype him up a bit more uh, compared to a few extra players who do the dirty work. Got I agree. I, I do agree, and I think maybe is it as maybe it's selection bias, as he as the uh, commentator said. It's like you know he went early in the draft, therefore he must be good. Therefore the commentators must talk about him. Maybe it was them just trying to make something interesting out of a game that wasn't as exciting. Like you know, it's a forty point win to the Suns. Yeah, mm. it's an outside outside of the eight clash. You just got to find something to get excited about on a Saturday night. That's right. He kicked the first two or three of the game, Nico. And um, 
they were from the like they were easy goals and they were getting pretty hyped up. I mean, Luke Darcy likes to go get up and about, and I thought it was a bit much. In it was a third quarter, maybe or towards the end of the game, where Weller kicked the goal, and then the commentary was all about, oh, Weller gets to ranking and gives him a high five. It was all about ranking, and I think yeah, sometimes well. it depends on the commentary team too, because we know Channel Seven, it's like a it's a family broadcast. They've got the Oz kickers at halftime usually. It's it you know it's about the the entertainment package, so they they use that on Fox Footy. You don't always get that that kind of stuff it's more analysis um uh, type uh, commentary so it depends they try and even subconsciously or consciously they want to create superheroes don't they for us and then we know how important superheroes are for the game so they definitely wanted to make isaac rankin a superhero on the weekend and uh i think they did for the most part because a lot of people are talking about him um dario casale again he said thanks for the applause last week guys he really really enjoyed that um that's all you get in this week i'm pretty certain you'll cover the worst footy in 18 months mind you geelong didn't play very well either they should have beaten us by five to ten goals um geelong like for me so he's talking about the pies obviously geelong um they adapt to who they're playing. You see that a lot of the times, like they are very, um, they do what they have to do. Usually like they're not going to go do the extras. I thought, you know, Pies want to hold the ball, let them hold it. They're not going to score. They're not coming down here. I think when they come to September, they do adapt well, usually. Um, so I wouldn't read into that too much with Geelong, but were, from both sides, it was a boring contest. It was the worst game. Like, like we said, that we've seen anything to add boys. I, I agree. They do get dragged down to their opponent's level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they do the job, except for when they're playing West Coast, of course. But yeah, yeah. True. true. I mean, they do they do what they have to do, really, and then they get the win. Yep. Got to agree. And again, they're playing in front of like no fans and an empty MCG. They've got the bye this week. I think Geelong will literally just, let's just go there. Let's get the four points. Let's get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Like, Basically at the bye last week at two. Uh, Matthew, I've got four questions, quick ones to ask you boys. So Matthew Lloyd was asked by Max King to help him uh, work on his goal kicking. I don't know if you saw this. Um, he, Lloyd said to Max, look, I'd love to help you because uh, I think uh, he coached him at school footy. Um, and he said, but tick it off with St. Kilda first. I'd, I'd, I'd hate you to get injured or anything outside the club and they don't know about it. So check with St. Kilda first. Um, St. Kilda said, no, we uh, we don't want him to be doing those extras with you, Lloydie. Uh, what are your reactions from that immediately, boys? What, what do you think um, when you hear that news? It seems absurd that a player who wants to try and get better isn't allowed to try and get better. And so, would it, is it? Do we know why? Is it a is it a workload thing? Is it like uh, no? Yeah, we, I think we, we once, have him at the rates for for the week. And if you go out and kick a football over one small and you meant to, your leg will fall off. Max yeah, like, I think that's what it was. So because it was outside the club, he wasn't coming down to the club to do it. It was a Wednesday afternoon outside the club, and they can't control it basically. And they want to know exactly what he's doing. How aren't they wearing workloads. GPS trackers and whoop, I don't think wristbands on the off days. and. <laughs> But like, can he just put one on then? Can he be like, "Yep, you can do a Zoom, Zoom call, log in." No, this is exactly why I asked you. I wanted your immediate thoughts yeah. without without notice questions. Yeah, Nico, it what's... sounds bad, and it probably is a bad look. But they've obviously got their reasons, St Kilda. So uh, until we Doesn't get both right sides okay. of the story, is it a know? bad look? Is it a bad look um, for Jared Roughhead at all? Um, because he does a bit of goal kicking. Does that look bad at him at all? Because for me, it doesn't. For me, it's person. He, um, it's it's a mental thing for Max King, and he was playing his best footy, obviously in school footy, where Matthew Lloyd was his coach. So he wants to get back. Mm. But I think this story coming out, I've heard a few people say, "Oh, you know, poor Jared Ruffhead. You know, he's he's the man who's supposed to be helping him, um, and he's gone elsewhere." But I don't think. I think anyone who's uh, who looks at this um, for facts, uh, I don't think it's a bad look on him. But is, was there any immediate reactions from you boys? No, I think it's that. actually a very mature response there. Like, as you said, it's in individual sports, and even in cricket, for instance, like just because the Australians have a batting coach doesn't mean that, you know, Steve Smith doesn't go off to his, his own personal batting coach and say, I'm going to play around yeah. with this, play around with that. That's actually lauded. That's saying, oh, it's amazing. He's doing extras, love it. Mm. Do it in an AFL sense. It's like, oh, no, he's not doing the team thing. He's not, you know, like he has an issue. He has a trusted mentor. Go get it fixed. Go sort it out. Surely some people are like, just keep the goals. Sorry. Um, is Ruffin actually the forward line coach though? Like, is he actually working with coaching? He's, assist, was, he's, he's assisting um, in some. He's, 
Yeah, it might be development. I think he does do some goal kicking though down there at the club. Yeah, um, so I don't know if he's a, the forward coach, but he's down there doing some goal kicking. There's a lot of comments on on social media and people saying it's a bad look for the roughhead and the forward line coaches down at mm. St Kilda. Uh, Carlton, what do they do? What do they have to do for a pass mark by the end of the season? They're not making finals. We know that they're four and seven now after eleven games. They won't win the eight and three. They need to play September footy. Um, what's a pass mark, boys, for them? Nothing, nothing. Top <laughs> eight was their pass mark. Okay, so it's a failure for just readjust halfway through because they're performing bad. I mean, they're losing games they should be winning. Well done, they beat the Hawks, second last on the ladder. They should be beating Sydney. They're, they're ahead of the Swans at the moment in development. Um, yeah, so I just think they're losing games they should be winning and nothing less than making finals is... Is a pass in my eyes. So they got the they've got West Coast before the bye. Then they've got GWS, Adelaide, Frio, Geelong, Collingwood, North Melbourne, St Kilda, Gold Coast, Port, and then Giants again. Um, you know, and then looking at that, you go, well, who do they definitely beat? They beat North. They should beat Collingwood, but they lost to them last time. Gold Coast, they beat, but that that's about it. Like it's not, yeah. So I mean, for me, I didn't have them in inside the eight come the end of the season, but at the same time, fans are expecting a lot more from them this season. So it's uh yeah, it's a difficult one. Gordo, what's a pass mark for you? I have to agree with Nick here and say that, well, they can't pass this year. And that's, that's the problem. Like fans are expecting at least a shot at the top eight and yeah, they're on the outside looking in. They're not that far off it, but like Essendon's more likely to jump in than Carlton is this year. And again, that's, that's the wrong way around in terms of development, in terms of where their list is at, in terms of the profiles, all of it. And it's the same problems we keep having with Carlton. It seems no one can work out, is it game style? Is it players? Are the players bought in? Do they believe in the coach? Do they believe in the skipper? And it's too easy at the moment to pull out little bits of the game and be like, yep, this is happening throughout the whole whole game. Too often, like, we criticise analysts for saying, like, oh, they pull out one little thing and it proves their point. But with Carlton, it's happening all the time. It's happening every game. So there is no pass mark. They've, they've stuffed up 2021. Yeah, they've had a lapse in every single game this year, I think. And mm. it's just those flurry of goals that, and it's not, it's, for me, it's not even a coaching instruction. Like it's the clear things from players that just go wrong, like on a mentality thing. It's just it's a silly mistakes and it's so frustrating. Hey, did Jack take the mark of the year at the weekend, Jack Rewalt? Yes. Yes. He did. Yeah. He did. I didn't think anyone would beat Bolton, to be honest. Mm, neither um, did I. <laughs> but yeah, that was hands down. The mark of the year it was courage, it was skill, it was execution, it was everything. Um, the moment too, wasn't it, Nico? They needed him then. Nine points, it. nine points up. The Adelaide were coming and he stepped up. That's literally. the whole narrative. Yeah. Spot mark on. Of the year. It was the mark of the year. So it's a purest mark of the year. I think it's probably going to be mark of the year. Do we trust the fans to vote it as mark of the year? Well, I shared it on Twitter because we don't want Collingwood getting it again. But I think at the end of the year, because there is that... Um, wild card uh, issue that I think there's three marks that if they don't get voted in, they can get um, pushed into it. And then there's a panel deciding. So I'm really hopeful that the panel decides this. I mean, the, yeah, like Nico said, the moment as well to go back with courage in that. It was just, uh, it was incredible. I'll, I'll stop now because I'm getting emotional. But the Tigers last one, boys, three blockbuster games this week. Who wins and why? I'll give you them. Brisbane versus Melbourne, Essendon, Richmond, Adelaide, Collingwood. <laughs> Who wins these three? Sorry, can you repeat that? Brisbane and Melbourne first. Who wins? Um, it's over there in Brisbane, isn't it? Brisbane. No, it's not confirmed. It might be in Sydney. I don't think it's in Brisbane. Oh, no. I think it'll be it's a meant neutral to be venue. in Darwin. It was supposed to be in, be in Darwin. It won't be in Darwin. I think it's going to be in Sydney, so a neutral venue. Um, well, I still think both teams are in form at the moment, but I'll say Melbourne. I'll stick with them. Got it. I think they're the team. I'm going. I'm going with Brisbane. They've got a free swing here. Melbourne's going to be travelling, concerns, hubs, lockdowns, bubbles. Brisbane's got a pretty crazy Brisbane for the win. Yeah, this is a tough one, boys. This is a tough one. And and like I said last week, I like to sit on the fence till the end and like to do my research. On gut, feel, the way Brisbane are playing, they're going to be hard to beat at the moment, I think. And they would have done a lot of homework on that Friday night game. Gut says Brisbane at the moment, but I could change it. We'll never know. Well, we, we will the know. The key here the is can Brisbane <laughs> lower their eyes 
Can Brisbane be trusted to lower their eyes inside of 50? I'd say absolutely yes. 13 individual goal kickers means they're not going to be like hitting up just one or two free easy mm. targets. They play less into the hands of Lever and Mayan on that rebound intercept marking. Brisbane's game style is the style that beats Melbourne's game style. Yeah, so. huge. Are we underrating? Are we underrating the D's though? I feel like there's not a lot of trust with the D's at the moment, but they've beaten, they've smashed yeah, the no, Lions, they've smashed the Tigers, they've smashed the Bulldogs. Their, their footy is going to stack up in finals. I, I didn't believe in them at the start of the year. I'll be honest, but they 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 will step. That, that game style stacks up in finals. There's no clear weakness. The only thing is Brisbane is coming a, a strong run of form. And and the way they're playing at the moment, I think they've got a lot of weapons. That thirteen individual goal kickers um, is huge. Mm-hmm. So I'll just have to do a bit more research for the weekend, and we'll decide. Essen and Richmond, gut feel. Tigers, 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 Tigers. Yep, up the stadium though. Never know. Uh, Adelaide Collingwood, the big blockbuster. <laughs> Tough one. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going the Crows. I'm going the Crows. It has to be, yeah, Adelaide. The way Collingwood are playing, you can't trust them. Does Collingwood want to win? Yes. I, don't know. Win? I think Probably. they do. They do. They do. They're not now. playing like they want to win. That's true. No, they want to win. They've got to win. I mean, if Bucks and Grundy went down club. and won't play this weekend either, so it's all there for the Crows. I think. You, I think there's a, you put an importance. I know what you're trying to say. Do you want draft picks come future? But I think you need to keep the fans happy, and that's the the biggest stakeholder at the moment is the fans, and I think they need to see it. They're not just going to say, "Oh, we'll wait for the future." They want to see that the performance is starting to come now. So, if they lose to, to Adelaide, does Buckley last the bye? If they lose to Adelaide. Uh, yeah, they probably will. I don't think they're going to say I still I think they'll wait till the end they'll of the season. They'll still wait. I think they'll still wait, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, and we won't wait anymore because it's time to end the show, boys, and get to that interview. Thank you so much for joining me on the Monday Review Panel on a Tuesday, fellas. It's always great to chat. Sad we can't do it in person. Um, but thank you for joining me. Anytime, Any mate. Any place. We'll zoom Any in. place. Literally. Hashtag Literally the gym session. Place. Get involved Hashtag in the show. Hashtag the stadium. That's it. Thank you, boys. Have a good one. Yes, Jimmy! Okay, today's guest is an icon of our great game. He played with a passion, pride, and determination that saw him overcome odds to not only get to a club after missing two drafts, but play 200 games for Melbourne and Collingwood and win an incredible Brownlow medal in the year 2000. This man also collected a best and fairest for the Deeds while playing more than 100 consecutive matches after being given his debut for the club in 1997. His reading of the play was phenomenal, resolve unrivaled, and his left foot running goals will live long in the memory of anyone lucky enough to witness them. Post-football is shared his love of the game and helping others through coaching and mentoring and continues to help athletes grow to become not only good players but good people it's my great pleasure to welcome mr shane wowoden to the gym session shane how are you mate James, how are you mate terrific to be here good mate well i haven't i haven't met many people who request a 7am interview i love it though uh you're a footy <laughs> coach you're doing one-on-one coaching too you do some media work uh as well on radio a business development manager a father it seems like you never stop i guess that's why you uh, like waking up so early yeah certainly the winter months are a lot busier for me um probably take on a little bit too much and and not get the balance quite right but oh look their their passions are mine um i'm excited to be still involved in the game although still i think we all would love to continue to play for as long as we can no doubt but um to be able to pass on knowledge share it um to the youth and the next generation uh is what excites me Mm-hmm. But I have to admit, it is, a, it is a special moment for me because uh, I was kicked 2001. I was seven years old and we got given a sticker each of uh, Shane Wode and 2000 Brownlow medalist. And I brought it home. I said, mum, one day I'm going to meet him. I'm going to speak to this man. <laughs> I used to go out the back and kick left foot just to try and be like you. So very special moment, mate, to be able to talk to you. Uh, your childhood, though, was probably a little bit more fun than mine because you actually had talent. Uh, started back in, in WA, where you are now. Um, you're on record saying Melbourne's the best city in the world, though. So I hope you still feel that way. Uh, born in a town just north of Perth, Geraldton, I think it was. You played for Railways Junior Footy Club club um strong connection with your dad who took you to every game uh do you remember the first moment you realized footy was what you wanted to do for the rest of your life i think as soon as the parents 
um, throw a ball in your hand. And I think mine was a brown plastic one. Uh, <laughs> a very, <laughs> those ones I think you used to get from Kmart or something all those years ago. And, and then you just grow and develop from there and, and just fall in love with the game. I just think the, what excites me is I think with all young kids is, you know, your idols kicking wonderful goals and taking big pack marks and um, doing the special things um, time and time again. I was a huge, at the time, South Fremantle supporter um, over here in the Waffle and a Carlton man. So um, they were my two loves from a supportive point of view. And then, um, but yeah, from Geraldton in north of Perth, um, just love being in the backyard, kicking the footy, or kick it in the house, around corners, into doorways, um, and, and just being out in the backyard doing what you can, using trees as goals, and just growing up loving the game. And um, then once you start playing, then the competitive juices flow and um, the team environment, which is the exciting part of the game. Also, just being able to share it with your mates and do something you absolutely love um, was exciting. And it just grew from there. And um, I'm I'm still involved in the game today, which is uh, which I love, and in particular when your own kids play the game as well, uh, that's exciting also. So at ten years old, I think you moved to Perth and you play for Lindale, uh, Linwood Ferndale, the Panthers, uh, six or seven years there, and then you end up going to East Fremantle um, before getting the call up to Melbourne, but. Mate, was there a couple of times where you thought footy wasn't going to happen? Because I know at 16, you took a year off local footy, I think, just to play school footy. And then you do miss out on the 95 and 96 draft. Was there a time you thought, oh, this is not going to happen for me? Oh, I think that always goes through your mind. Uh, I think my bottom age of my under-17s year over here playing junior footy, uh, I looked to take a year off, um, had a few injuries and just, I wouldn't say I, lo- I fell out of love of the game. It's just uh, I couldn't get on the park, which um, makes it really difficult to actually enjoy it. And just, I thought I'd just take some time away um, and just focus on probably a little bit less demanding with school footy and just running around with your mates. And then um, I think the passion and a few other things started coming away, started to feel better. And I got an invite and went down to East Fremantle Colts um, as a as a 17 year old and and then it just went from there and I was still playing junior footy when I got to East Fremantle um I hadn't quite cracked a game and I probably knew I was uh I wasn't ready to play AFL at that stage anyway at 18 I was a late developer and took a couple of years to understand um what the game demands um from a physical point of view with a mental point of view um and then, you know, two years later, I was just fortunate enough to be invited to Melbourne to have a training uh, pre-season for a couple of months. And then um, the rest was history. It just landed and away I went. Yeah, to that two months at Melbourne to prove yourself, I think you're supposed to get there in October. You ended up just going in January. So it was like two months, prove yourself. If, you, if you're good enough, you'll make it. But you've said fitness, uh, your fitness level wasn't uh, your strength or your speed. What was it that, that got you over the line? Was it that just the hunger to learn and to succeed? In that two months at Melbourne, yeah. I look, you always think you're at a level where you can compete in terms of your physical um, ability and you think you're fit and then that two uh, months pre-season it was certainly a whack in the face as to where I was and where I needed to be I think my first um, pre-season run at Melbourne door-to-door around Albert Park Lake I think I came second last um, so it was a big learning curve straight away and, and you know in the in the, the Phoebes are running you know, five, six minutes probably in front of you, just how elite some of these runners were at the time. Um, but I, it was my, I wasn't going to go over there and not give it everything. So if that was to be knocking on coaches' doors every five minutes, um, being a sponge, learning the game, working on my craft, doing the things that um, I knew I could control, um, I, I was hoping that was going to be the difference. And then when it came to game time, um, and the ability to prove myself on the field, well, then I was hoping my footy was going to do a little bit of talking. Um, and, and so, and that's what I did. It just, uh, I think there was about 15 invitees in that first preseason at Melbourne, um, all looking for the preseason draft and the rookie draft, because that was the first time that was introduced. Um, and yeah, so two months, um, a lot of training, um, 
and just trying to settle into Victorian life for a couple of months. Um, but all I had to do was the footy. All I had was the footy club uh, and training, so which I loved. Um, it was the part of the it's part of the game you got to really enjoy and do is train because it's just part of your life with it. So, and that is the bit that I did enjoy. So, um, just working on the craft, being a sponge, and being the best I possibly could. And fingers crossed, hopefully things were going to turn out my way. You were very close with Stephen Tingay. Was he the first kind of mentor for you at the club when you arrived at Melbourne? Um, Stephen was uh, with a couple of other West Australians that we went over with. Stephen was um, where I stayed first for a week. He took us in um, uh, and and Paul Hopgood was living there also in Richmond. and I think Stephen and Alistair Clarkson were the two that I first met when I got into the footy club uh, on the day I arrived. So um, I think it was a bit of a surprise that Stephen was asked to look after three West Australian kids coming in. It may have been a bit of a shock to him early, but oh, look, he took us in. Uh, we learnt the way, um, how to live, how to eat. It was only for a week, but um, we all saw what I, top of player he was he was a ripping individual also but um he was a great role model in terms of your preparation how you had to become an elite player mm-hmm. 97 uh you finished last that year melbourne and that was your first season 98 um you finished fourth you make a prelim i've heard a lot of melbourne players say that 98 was the best chance to win a flag for melbourne even more so than the 2000 grand final was is that your feelings as well yeah absolutely yeah. um it was a it was a dream run coming into the end of the '98 season. I think we finished fourth, hmm. and if everyone recalls, I think '98 was the last year of that um, final eight system. Yeah. Uh, finished fourth, um, played Adelaide in the first final, and we went win by ten goals. So it was um, a, a huge affair. And then you think from there, within today's current system, you're going straight to a a prelim yeah. in, a, in a qualifying final, but we went um, to a semi-final against St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the last year with Viney, Lyon, Steins, Tingo, all our senior um, greats of the late 80s, mid-90s. So it was our – it had to be our time so we can all enjoy it and share this together. And we beat St Kilda in the semi by 10 goals. So on today's system, again, you're straight through to a grand final. But we end up having to go play uh, our third final against uh, the Kangaroos on a Friday night. And they were the specialist, obviously, in the late 90s. And um, I think Shannon Grant went berserk and kicked five and, and bundled us out um, way too early. Yeah, so that extra game, that was what it, what it was, you reckon? If they were in, in today's system, Melbourne win the flag in 98? Oh, oh. Bias wise, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought we were terrific that that mm-hmm. finals campaign, and we we're playing a really strong brand of footy, and uh, we're really confident in what we could do. Um, but for whatever reason, on that Friday night, um, it didn't it didn't go away, and and uh, the, the Kangas were too strong in the second half, and and blew us out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good team, and and you were definitely a huge part of it. You played every game from your debut season until two thousand and one. It was uh, ridiculous. Your run, it was it was brilliant. Do you have a favourite individual game though? I know you've highlighted the two thousand prelim as uh, against North as a really um, big one to be a part of. But as an individual, is there one that stands out above the rest? Oh, um, probably a number of them. I think some in different ways. Um, some from an individual point of view in terms of being able to win the footy and um, things go away. Uh, but the round 21 Geelong game um, in 2000, from an individual point of view, uh, you know, things went well. You get a lot of the footy and you kick a number of goals um, and it's sort of we're pushing hard towards a big finals campaign in 2000. Um, but a lot of early games that probably stand... Um, the stead a little bit more, more probably from a learning point of view and how to play a role and what you need to learn. So I think it was a, in my first couple of years, I was probably used more as a halfback run with um, tagging type player, which um, Neil Baum and Hutchie and Dan has used me a fair bit in those early couple of years and just learned to play on the best midfielders. We played Collingwood at the G 
um, I think I ran 17 or 18 in 97 my first year and I had to play on Bucks and extraordinary athlete, extraordinary um, player. And I think I kept him to nine or something for the day. I think he had three at half time. So, you know, when you plan a role and um, probably learning along the same way as well, upon these best players, that were probably the big defining moments for me as a career where I felt like I could mix it with the best midfielders in the game. And if I continue to just, um, you know, have a strong mentality, huge concentration on game, I could uh, play on these players and they teach you a lot too along the way and what their craft is like and where they need to be. And so playing on Heard, Cooter, Ratten, West, um, Knights, um, the list goes on. Uh, yeah. They were just extraordinary players and uh, you learn a hell of a lot. Who was the toughest out of them, would you say? Um, my heart, the hardest opponent was Michael Voss. Michael Voss. He, yeah, he was an extraordinary player. His, his competitiveness, he, his brute strength in the contest um, and in his time when he pushed forward, uh, his speed and power inside 50 um, was very, very good. Um, and yeah, he, he would have been the, the all-round player that uh, you just admire and go, wow, yeah, how good are you? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was an extraordinary player, extraordinary mm-hmm. player. At 98, you, you kicked that incredible goal against Port Adelaide at the MCG. Uh, I can still remember the commentary. Still Wo Odin. Unbelievable. Unlucky, though, mate, because Farmer, he stole it off you that year. You should have won the goal of the year that year, don't you reckon? I, th- I did think so. Um, yeah. we, we had some banter along the way. Uh, and that, I think he did his in round 13. Mm. Um, I just thought because mine was more individual than, yeah. than his where he got involved with the teammates and, and shared. But, uh, again, another exceptional player. It was a great goal by the Wizard and dropped a torp at Waverley and from 60 and did a Tim May special and rolled in. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember we both rocked up to – I think the show at Channel 7 back then was called Live and Kicking and we did it in um, on Chapel Street, I think the building was. And you rocked up and um, Wizard was there as well. And I said, oh, something's a bit fishy here. <laughs> so um, he, ended up, uh, he ended up winning the goal of the year. So he took it off me eight weeks later. But uh, I think I've got the radio one uh, by 3AW. So, oh, um, that's the one that counts. It. Yeah, that's the one yeah. that counts. That's all right. Hey, 2000, though, you got one up on him, mate. You, you're a Brownlow medalist. It was a good year for you, best and fairest. You play uh, for Australian International Rules Series. You play in a grand final as well, but that Brownlow medal. So at the start of the season, you're playing $200 to win it at the start of the year. Um, you said you didn't expect it that not, uh, on the night despite having a great season. Was it John Longmire who said, just write a speech just in case anyway? Yeah, he did. John was my manager at the time yeah. at IMG. And he said, yeah, just mate, just in case, just have something prepared anyway. So um, as expected, did not think that I'd walk away with the medal that night. Um, probably knew I'd played some consistent and some decent footy early. Um, had a real lean patch midway through the year. So probably from about 10 to 16 or something, 10 or 17. And then... Um, had some strong form in the last month to be able to bring it home. Um, the and, and and my advantage probably in the year was that in my lean patch, all the guys at the top of the leaderboard weren't polling. So if they were, they were getting the ones. And so I was staying in um, in close contact for the remainder of the night. So yeah, pushed out to a I think they had fifteen by round eight, and then it just really dried up for an extended period and got five or six late. And uh, and it was yeah, it was fortunate enough to to win it. I'll, I've always I've said too in the past that it would have been great to be able to share it with Westy. Again, another great player I played on and and played alongside with at uh, for the Australian series. Um, we actually got rotated together through the midfield for the two test series, so I got to know Westy pretty well. And it would have been great to be able to stand up on the stage with him and share it. Uh, that's all right, mate. You deserved it. so and, and you enjoyed it as well. I loved that moment. It was great. Um, did that preparation winning it, did that interrupt you a little bit going into the grand final? I know you said, you know, you've, you go and sign the contract backstage to say you're going to do some media work um, over the, the next few days. And it's kind of an interrupted um, process going into the grand final. Looking back on it, did it did it disrupt you a little bit? Oh, no, no it didn't disrupt me. You, you certainly would have not 
um, done it in your preparation um, with the other game. So um, it, I wouldn't say it, it uh, disrupted me, but I would, if I had my time again, I wouldn't do it. I'd certainly um, continue to follow what I would do Monday to Friday. Um, so there was a few events that we had to get to and it's just time you spend away from um, preparing for the game, working with your teammates and doing what you would do normally. So by the Wednesday afternoon, my time was back with me and then I could, I was able to just hone in on, on the game. Um, but ideally, yeah, if you had your time again, you'd do something completely different. Where does the medal sit at the moment? Where do you keep it? Um, it's, I think it's upstairs somewhere in my room. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I've never had it on show. It's always been okay. tucked away and, um, yeah, it's not really something that goes out. I, every now and then, if someone wants to see it, I'll, yeah. I'll show it to them and push it out there. But yeah, it's, I certainly reflect on great memories and, uh, of the evening and of the year and, um, what, uh, what eventuates now with, um, with the night itself. Um, which is still a very special night. Um, bit unfortunate sometimes. Now we can't we can't attend. But um, oh look, yeah. it's a it's a great night. Yeah. Speaking of the night, is that still uh, the best part of it? That you well, other than the last couple of years, obviously. But you, you get to go and uh, sit with the past winners and, and chat to them. I know you've been on the table with Brad Hardy and Jared Healy. You say is a is a great thrill. Is that the best part? Yeah. For, for me, it's the what and for anyone could attest that. Uh, if they've been to the evening, it's it's a boring evening. It's it's a long night and it can uh, it can drag on. But for me, the the highlight is the thirty to forty five minutes catch up with all the past medalists in a room off to the side, yeah. where you just get to say good day, share a few stories. How's the last twelve months been? I, I I would love to be able to catch up with these guys more often. I don't think once for thirty minutes a year is enough. Uh, it's an exceptional evening just to be able to spend time with what I call the greats of our game. And I'm just um, very privileged to be able to spend that little bit of time with them and, um, and talk footy and talk crap and um, have a beer with them. Yeah. Brilliant. Hey, that, uh, that year, obviously 2000, you're playing a grand final loss. You played in another in 2003. Do they still stick with you now? Do you still think about them? Uh, I, not the games themselves. I, I sit back and go, oh, I'm not a premiership player and that's what we play footy for and that's the thing that's missing um, in in my footy career. And, and unfortunately, yeah, yeah, I, I love going to a grand final day now and um, not just for the spectacle but the moment that the game is and then when you're seeing um, teams collect their medals at the end of it, that's the, that's the moment that you would love to have. Uh, and where you get to share it with your mates and enjoy that occasion where you put all that hard work in for that one special moment. And I'm jealous that I wasn't able to to achieve that and had a couple of cracks at it and may have had a third one with the 98 one, but mm. it wasn't to be. Um, yeah, so reflecting on it, yeah, it would have been great to have, had to have one around your neck, but it certainly um, wasn't to be. From 97 to 2002, it was a bit of a yo-yoing form for the days in and out of finals, um, but you felt it, You said you felt a strong connection uh, to that group at the end of 2002 and you'd gone away on the footy trip together to Bali. Uh, you're loved by the fans, loved by the boys, and then all of a sudden you, you traded to Collingwood. Was it while you're in Mauritius with your wife, is that when you found out that, oh, I'm not going to be at the club anymore? Yeah, probably the, yeah, the worst month of my my footy life, it really was. Um, yeah, we were over. I heard whispers and rumours when we were in Bali, yeah, yeah. and starting things starting to filter through to us. And um, uh, it, I went, "Hang on, this is I haven't heard this before. What's going on here?" And then um, I think I got back to Melbourne for a day before I left to go overseas with my um, uh, then fiance. So uh, yeah, it, uh, I had tw- twenty four hours to catch up with the coach and work through what's going on. So he ventured into my land room and um, we spoke about a couple of things. And at the end, at the end of the hour conversation, it was a shake hands. We'll see you in a couple of weeks in pre-season. So I went, beauty, I look forward to getting back and getting stuck back into training again. Um, and we'd just been, I think we knocked out by Adelaide in the semi-final in 2002. So again, we felt 
we, we were close and we're, we're not far away. So we thought 03 would have been a really, really strong year for us. Um, but yeah, um, I never stepped foot back in the Melbourne Footy Club ever again after that. So um, there was two more all overseas in South Africa and Mauritius and trying to enjoy a holiday and I'm spending my whole time on the phone and speaking with footy clubs and going through the trade period. So yeah, not ideal, not, not ideal at all. And uh, I, I never wanted to do it, do that again. And I, look, it, it happened. Um, I went to the pies. I was welcomed um, um, by everyone involved in the club, exceptional football club. It was such a, a great time. I got to play in another grand final, um, which I wouldn't have done if I was at the D's. And I always felt like I wanted, not felt, I actually mentioned that I wanted to be a one club player. Mm. I wanted to play 250 plus and um, hopefully win a flag. Didn't happen. I got traded and went to the pies and um, got to play alongside some unbelievable players where I learned so much more about the game and what's required. Um, you know, standards were higher. Training was more intense. Um, you know, I got to go one-on-one with Buckley a lot. Scott Burns, Paul Lucuria, and t- just learning more. Um, got to play under Mick Malthouse was, again, another wonderful coach who taught me a lot about the game. Um, and then I got to play with a powerhouse footy club that was with big member base and I hardly travelled. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, the, 05, my final year wasn't a fun year, but look, I, I look back on the, the two clubs and just say that, well, I'm just fortunate enough to play with two fantastic footy clubs with two big traditions and histories and um, and and have mates for life. Yeah. yeah well, the year before uh, 2005, you, you, you came second in the best and fairest. You had a great season and you obviously still had heaps to offer. Unfortunately, your career comes to an end at 2005 and 29 years of age. It still baffles me how a club doesn't pick you up, but you know, how does that happen? Is that because back then it was kind of uh, the thing, let's go for youth. Do you think if it was these days, you would have been given that, um, that opportunity because we see a lot more experienced players come back in the system now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Possibly. Um, uh, I think I spoke to seven clubs at the end of 2005. I trained with the Kangaroos for six weeks um, leading up to Christmas, hoping to get an opportunity. Um, I remember speaking to Alistair Clarkson yeah. at Hawthorne and because I played with Clarko and he was our runner in 98. I played with him in 97. Um, and he said, he said to me that uh, you're in my best 18, but I... I've promised our members that we're going to go youth. So, and I accepted that. That was mm-hmm. fine. It, so my birth certificate was costing me at the end of the day. And um, I think back now, or now I understand why Mick um, and the, uh, and the administration side of Collingwood then um, made the decision to delist me. Um, when you're, when you're building a list and what does your list profile look like and when's your next premiership and let's get towards that. I understand. So I think um, I was let go. Um, I was just yeah, where I was. I probably, you know, I wasn't a 25, 24 year old who could, it was coming through then that next bracket. Um, and I wasn't a club great. I'd only been there three years. So um, it, it, I was the one that was going to be put on the chopping block. And it's, but then building a list, you understand like the next draft, Colin would have pick two and pick five and get Thomas and Pendlebury. Um, and, you know, you're part of that decision to be let go so we can get these early draft picks um, and they win a flag in five years' time after that. So um, being a coach and on the other side of the fence, you completely understand um, decisions made. But at the time, the game's so emotional as a player that you get so heavily involved and you, you think you can go forever. So, I yeah, I was, I was filthy that I was let go um, and probably acted in a way that I shouldn't have. And cause you just feel like you still can compete and um, be around AFL footy. And um, yeah, I just felt it was just too early for me and a bit premature and I should be still on the list. Mm. You ended up going back into AFL, but in a coaching capacity, uh, an assistant or midfield coach at Brisbane. Um, do you want to get back in the AFL in a coaching role in the future? Um, I, yeah, I had six years at the Lions and had a wonderful time because I came home for 
after Collingwood and played my final two years with East Fremantle, which I thoroughly enjoyed going back to a footy club yeah, that started it all. Um, and so I got to captain the club and um, it wasn't great times. We didn't have any success, but uh, it was just a, a pivotal moment to be able to give back. And again, you'd love to be able to play forever, but two years was enough for me, probably more mentally, a little bit physically. I started to whine a little bit in terms of you just don't get the full-time support as you do as an AFL player with a full-time job and a family and, and whatnot. So um, I made the decision to pull pull the boots and hang them up and then decided I wanted to get into coaching. Um, got the East Fremantle job straight away, which was a bit surprising, but certainly learnt a lot in three years as a senior coach um, and then ventured over to, to Brisbane under Michael Voss um, and who, who was going through a transitional period as well, the Brisbane Lions at the time and where their list was at and um, what where their club was going. But yeah, uh, three years under Vossi, then three years under Leper and felt six years was enough and I needed to um, needed a change, need some, a new environment, learn something completely different. Um, soft cap came in, made it really hard to move clubs and I couldn't get anywhere. So just decided to bring the family home um, and just step out of AFL footy for a little bit. So, uh, yeah, because it, it's consuming as a coach. It's consuming in the system, um, demands a lot of time. I loved it. It was a great time, to, again, to be able to share knowledge and spread it with the young players. And I got to work with, you know, Lewenberger, Rich, Redden, Rockliffe, Hanley um, for an extended period, Redden. From from their twenty games to their hundred and ten games, so yeah, just pivotal moments where you just get to pass on and hopefully um, give them something to better develop their careers. You've said a lot that um, one of the best pieces of advice you've been given is to try and learn from people, ask questions, be like a sponge, that sort of thing. Was there a coach? I can't recall if it was Mick Malthouse or someone else that you went to for advice, and they said the best thing you can do is go and coach your own club first because then you learn all aspects of coaching and how, you know, players work or the system works first. Is that your advice to other coaches before they get in the AFL system officially to go and coach their own club? Oh yeah. So that was when I was going for um, the East Fremantle role after I finished playing. So this is probably end of 07. I came over to Victoria and just sat down with um, Neil Danaher, Mick Malthouse, Brian Royal, I don't know if I caught up with Chris Fagan or not. Um, but, yeah, just tapping into some experience about which pathway to take. Do I become an assistant first and learn a craft and learn a role and a line and do there, which with mids, backs or whatever it may be, um, or just go step down to a lower level and coach your own club and learn what it's like to work with um, staff, stakeholders, players, how to build relationships, what it looks like to run the show. Um, and, yeah, it was Mick. Mick was the one that said, nah, without a question, go and coach your own club, no matter what level, but be at the forefront, be the face, um, make the decisions, and you'll learn a lot. You'll learn, you'll make the wrong ones, what you do with them. You'll make some good ones, how you develop your players, how you work with your staff, how do you, how do you manage your time, Um for a year so that's when I just put my hat in the ring to go and coach East Fremantle after they let the previous coach go and I got the role and geez he's certainly right you certainly learn um, a lot in your first year what not to do what to do um, how to empower your players how they help you um, and keep mentors around you inside and outside footy um, yeah and it's sort of sort of ingrained what I needed to be able to do and how I take my coaching forward, not just the game, but just um, was more around the off-field things that um, not that not such the tactical side of things in the coach's box. Um, I always felt the game day was the game day is the easy part of coaching. It's the preparation and what's required Monday to Friday to get yourself ready for Saturday to hand over to your players. So um, yeah, so that's the advice I took and oh, for any coach going forward, I reckon it's invaluable. Um, be able to lead your team and make decisions and um, manage your time, I think was invaluable. 
love that. Uh, Shane, before I ask you about your current thoughts on the game, can I just throw a, f- a couple of names at you and you tell me the first thing that comes to your head? Yep. All right. Uh, Jeff Farmer. A wizard. Wizard. Gary Lyon. A mentor. Mentor. Alistair Clarkson. Uh, phenomenal. Nathan Buckley. Superstar. David Neitz. Leadership. Adam Uze. Class. Last one, Jim Steins. Oh, one of the great men of all time. Um, inspiring. Inspiring. Brilliant, mate. Um, speaking about inspiring, the Ds at the moment look look pretty good. Now, I, I wanted to ask first, you're, you've said you're a fan of the game. You're not a supporter of either uh, Demons or Collingwood. Do you support them both or just the whole game in general? Probably do. Bit of both. Bit of both, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little soft spot for them. You, you pulled on the jumper for nine years with both clubs. Yeah. There's a soft spot for both of them. As I said earlier, I, I felt very fortunate to play with two great clubs. So yeah. why not support both of them? Yeah. Are they your uh, tip for my, the oh sorry? Oh, I was gonna say are they your tip for the flag this year, the demons. There's still a lot of footy we played out yet. Um it's okay to be sitting on top, but the footy season, as we know, is a marathon. And to be able to um play week in, week out, it's hard to sustain. It really is. Now you're the hunted. Now everyone's coming after you. And they've stood the test of time. They've done Met Challenges, Doggies, Geelong, Richmond, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, they've been been terrific. Um, I think Adam Uze has done wonders for the footy club. Coming back, a great Melbourne person and um, a very good footy brain. So um, I think what he's done with the midfield is exceptional. Um, you can certainly see a different mentality and method with the midfield group now um, to what's been there in the past. So not discrediting anyone who's coached Melbourne footy club in the previous, but I think Adams added another layer to the footy club this year. And um, it certainly shows. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that because there's been a few changes this year for Melbourne. So you've obviously Adam Uze in the midfield and Choco Williams as well, who's basically the kicking coach and the skills have, have improved uh, incredibly, but also there's Chaplin in the background, background and Simon Goodwin is developing his skills as a coach. Is there one thing that stands above, above all else? Is it the Adam Uze impact for you? Uh, yeah. Without being in the inner sanctum um, yeah. and only probably, um, it's the ground really is just the impact he's had with the midfield and um, they're probably better in transition. Um, I think they've, it looks like they value defense a little bit more and the players are speaking really heavily about their roles and um, what's required in team defense. Um, but again, once you get all the players on board and invested, the job becomes so much easier. Um, but again, it certainly helps when you're complimenting, complimenting your defense with great offense and, um, and oh, they've got weapons all over the field and it looks like they just enjoy playing with each other, got a passion to play the game again. And it does certainly help when you're winning. No question about that. Um, but it's probably the mode and method that they are winning in. And um, they, they look up and about at the moment and it's exciting times. It's not just for them. It's, it's for the club. Mm-hmm. It's for their supporter base who have um, been at the lower end for a very long time. So um, it's great to see him enjoying some success. Yeah. So if you had to put your money on one club to win it this year, who is it? Oh, throw a blanket on a few of them at the moment. Yeah. It's just, few. As we know, September is such a different outcome, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I still think, I, I probably thought leading into the Melbourne game, I thought the doggies were the ones at the moment and okay. you can have an off night. So mm-hmm. they won't be too disappointed, although they didn't win it. Um, so much footage you play. They still are a genuine threat. I think Port will be there again, and I'm just still not discounting Richmond um, at this stage. But you look up north and what's happening up there at the moment, um, mm. seven on the trot and play an exceptional brand of footy. And if they get two finals in Brisbane, um, it's it makes it very difficult and they can certainly throw it again for Brisbane. It's going back to Melbourne and yeah. competing on the G um, in a pressured advised environment, that's the challenge for them as well. And the important one, uh, the Brownlow. Who is it this year? Um, 
Oh, you going to throw your hat? Bont? <laughs> the Bont, yeah. Bont, yeah. Clayton Oliver's having a very, very good year. Um, Ollie Wines. Um, so, yeah, uh, the Bont for me at the moment, um, I reckon at the moment it's a racing two with Bont and Oliver. They're probably just thrashing out the top of the leaderboard halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. Brent, all right. The fun stuff just to end off, mate. There's 10 quick questions. Just say the first thing that comes to your head. All right. Uh, your, your favorite food? Um, chicken. Chicken. Favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Your favorite teammate, teammate of all time? My teammate of all time. Geez, that's hard to say. <laughs> my, my best mate was Russell Robertson. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, you were also on the Robbo show with him. I remember he did it on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the best thing about football is having the uh, the mateships and the friendships yeah. for life, and um, they're, they're an exceptional group. Your favourite player in the AFL at the moment? Geez, you put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> what comes to mind now? Who do you enjoy um, watching? Oh, you, you love what what Petrarca does. Yeah. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, here in Western Australia. <laughs> good one. So Melbourne's <laughs> not a not an option anymore. Oh, yeah. Is how good is uh is Melbourne? I, I think every time I go over there now, mm-hmm. um, the congestion it just gets worse every year <laughs> and it's built up every year and I don't miss the cold, but I certainly miss the city. It's a wonderful city to live in. There you go. Uh, what makes you angry? Um, people that can't merge. <laughs> That's not how it's in Victoria, but oh, here in Western Australia, merging is ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good yeah traffic gets me as well. All right, so what yeah. calms you down then? What do you do to relax? Uh, spending time with my yeah, spending time with my family. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a smile on the face every day. Yeah, your favourite coach of all time? Um, Neil Danaher. Nice. Good balance. Um, yeah. yeah. Harsh but fair. Yeah. Um, attacking brand, flair. Um, but stay within the framework. Yeah. Uh, would you rather dye your hair peroxide blonde again or shave it all off? Which one? I, uh, funny you say that. My kids are trying to get me to dye it again. Yeah, do it I, again. I said, no way. I'm only <laughs> 45. Um, and I said the only reason I would do that would be for charity mm-hmm. and if you organise it. So, yeah. um, I've, I've let's do it. Let's hope they do it. Love it. All right, your la- last one. What is your favourite quote of all time? Um, right, in a footy sense, uh, train the way you want to play. Mm. Brilliant. I'm sure you use that a lot and I love it. Very good, Shane. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, to speak to you today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. As I said, a very special moment for me because you are an idol of mine. So thank you so much, mate. mate. Uh, It's my absolute pleasure. Anytime. Um, Look forward to doing it again someday. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, Uh, bud.